everybody and uh, a warm welcome to everybody in the church building here today and also to those of you who are online. Uh, it's nice to see a few visitors uh, with us and we give you a warm welcome. Um, our preacher today is um, Mr George Barney who is uh, an elder in Smithton uh, Free Church in Inverness. So uh, we look forward to George speaking to us. I'll ask George to come forward and lead the service now. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is from 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, with your people all over the world, today we want to magnify your holy name. For we remember all your gracious benefits. Lord, we think of your love, your faithfulness, your care, your compassion. Lord, we could go on and on. But Lord, especially that gift of your own son. And Lord, we realize it was the only way that we could be forgiven. With him, Jesus, taking the blame the sinless one taking the sin of the world on himself so that by trusting in you, we sinners can go scot-free. Lord, we identify with the words of the psalmist when he says that we were lifted from the pit and our feet were put on a rock and a new song was put in our mouth. Lord, so many of us today can think of times when singing psalms and hymns would have been anathema. It would not have been part of our normal culture. And here we are, loving, praising your name. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have secured a place for us in heaven that could never otherwise have been achieved. Our Father, there's a good congregation gathered here today but given the population of this island, we're a very small number. And yet, as we've already said, we gather with our brothers and sisters all over the world. And Lord, we realise that some of these brothers and sisters would love to join with us and have the freedom to come together, to see one another, to have the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. But, Lord, they don't have it. Lord, we, if we're Christians today, we are part of a worldwide family. From different nationalities, different backgrounds, different denominations, different personalities, different in almost every way. And yet, when we're in Christ, all one in Jesus. Lord, you are a most gracious God, a most forgiving God and caring God and loving God. And Lord, we are just so delighted that you're willing to adopt us, even us, into your family. Lord, we come asking for forgiveness today, forgiveness for all sorts of things. 
but forgiveness in the way that although we claim to be yours, we're sometimes lukewarm in our faith. There are days can go by where we don't even think about you. Lord, we have known your way, but we've chosen to do something different. And we, as we look at the book of Judges, we see that we are like the people of Judges, doing what is right in our eyes. Lord, we do just ask you to forgive us and to forgive us for our many sins. And Lord, we realize it's with, with, with the sacrifice that Jesus made that we come boldly before you today. Now that we are Christians, and Lord, for people who have slipped away, and Lord, we realize that it's so easy to, to be yours and yet to slip. Lord, we love these words that say, come back or people who have never come to you. Lord, would you draw them? Lord, way beyond the voice of a man today, would they hear your voice and your invitation? Lord, we do just pray for our brothers and sisters in, in so many difficult situations, and particularly this morning with Afghanistan being in the news, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And Lord, we pray that you would give them everything they need. And Lord, today, they that would know that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Lord, we just want to pray for this community. Lord, we thank you for all the people here today who live in this community. And Lord, you have given each one of us a responsibility to be salt and light wherever we live, wherever we go, and wherever we are. And Lord, we pray that that, that influence would draw others to come to you. Lord, we just want to remember missionaries today in other countries. We think of the country of Portugal, which has such a small percentage of Christians. And we do just thank you for those who are working there and do just ask that you would bring more and more people to know you. Lord, we think of France too and glad to hear of different denominations, different groups who are working there, that you are building your church in that beautiful country. Lord, we do just remember the McGilvery's and we pray for them as they've moved to Turkey. And Lord, we do just pray that you would help them to cope with the language, to get to know people and Lord, to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the ministry here. We thank you for David McLeod. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've brought him and you've brought this whole church into being. And Lord, we thank you for each person who belongs here. And we thank you for every single visitor that's here today. And that you would bless us. Bless us as we pray. Bless us as we read. Bless us as we sing. Bless the children as they go to their groups. Lord, we do just ask for that blessing that comes from you. Lord, as well as remembering David, we do just remember Mary, and we remember Anna, and Grace, and Lois, and do just pray that you would refresh them, and just bring them back to this congregation for all the work that's involved. Lord, there are many things in our hearts today, individually, collectively, as families. Lord, you know them. And Lord, we just want to spend a moment just coming before you in prayer. And Lord, these prayers that we've prayed to you in silence, we know that you hear them and that you will answer them 
according to your will. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let me just pray with you. Our Father, we thank you for each of these boys and girls that are here today. Lord, we thank you that you love them with an everlasting love. And Lord, we pray that one day, if it hasn't happened already, you would bring them to know you as Saviour and Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be with them as they go to their Sunday school or to their groups. And we do thank you for those who look after them and those who teach them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are reading today from First Book of Kings, First Kings, Chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the, night, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your, dis your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, and keep my degrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one else in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. 
She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. And when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. Give the, the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word. Back to our reading in 1 Kings chapter 3. What an amazing question that God asks Solomon that night in the dream, or a statement that he makes. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine today in 2021 if God gave you that statement and says, ask for whatever you want me to give you? And Solomon could have asked for so much more, couldn't he? Long life, wealth, death of his enemies. But instead of that, he asked for wisdom. And his choice of wisdom shows a discerning heart. Solomon at this point as he comes to the throne is 18 years of age. I see there are some people 18 years of age or thereabouts in the congregation and therefore I will not make any, any statements that I might regret. But 18 is very young to be king. But he's not, he's not like the average 18 year old and yet he feels his youth. Verse 7, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Which one of us, even if we're 18 or not, which one of us would? He's ruling at this point over approximately four million people. Now, every time we come to God's word, whether it's privately or collectively like this today, three things to think about. What do we learn about God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What do we learn about the people in this story? About Solomon, about the two ladies with their babies. And what do we learn about ourselves? Because in many ways, the Bible is like a mirror. His origin, first of all, by rights, he should never have been on the throne. He is fifth in line to the throne. 
Now, to give us an idea of what that's like today, it would be like once the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II happens, the person who would come to the throne would be Louis. Um, Louis, the, the, the son born to William and Kate, who is coming up for. That just gives us an idea. And in 1 Kings, we start to read that Solomon took his responsibilities very seriously. And with him not expected to be king, Adonijah, who thought he was next in line to the throne, started to plan his coronation. And it was well underway when Nathan the prophet went to Solomon's mother Bathsheba and reminded her of the promise that we read of in 1 Kings chapter 1 and at verse 30. I will surely carry out this day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. He will sit on my throne in my place. It's an odd choice in many ways, Solomon. Solomon was never meant to be. He, he, he and his mother and David, his father, they came out together out of an, in an adulterous relationship. They both had a husband or a wife. But they came together, they had a child, the first child died, but the second, the second child lived. Solomon. It was an odd choice. And it's equally, when we think about in God's economy, that it's often odd choices that he has of followers. When we think of the disciples, they were quite a, a random bunch, and in many respects, an odd choice. And then those of us who are his followers today, it's quite an odd choice. We've all got different personalities, all got different gifts. In some ways, an odd choice. You think, why would the Lord have picked them? And yet, in God's economy, he became king. And he wasn't like any other king. He was called by God, Jedidiah. Jedidiah meaning the loved of the Lord, the beloved, the darling of the Lord. In a way, his situation of coming to the throne unexpectedly, being fifth in line to the throne, is a wee bit like his father David, who it was sim similar with him when he was the eighth of the sons of Jesse. And as Samuel was instructed by God to go and make a king of one of the sons of Jesse, he went through seven of them before the Lord revealed it was to be David. So he and his father were in the same situation. And isn't it a constant, we get a constant reminder from God's word that in Isaiah 55, where God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And yet here is what God thought of him. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, at verse 25, we read this. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him 
royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. That was what God thought of him, the richest and wisest king in the history of Israel. So that was his origin. Now what about his meteoric rise to fame? What attention this man gave to detail. The temple of Solomon was built. It took seven and a half years to be built. And every detail was supplied by the Lord for him. And he gave special attention to being built exactly to the Lord's specification. And this temple was to be the center of worship in Jerusalem. And for Jews, it was like Mecca is to the Muslims. A symbol of God's presence with his people. A reminder of the seriousness of sin, but yet the availability of mercy. Again in 1 Chronicles 29 and at verse 2, in the Message Bible, we read this of the temple. This is not just a place for people to meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. This is not just a place for people to meet, meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. Isn't it a timely reminder, especially when this congregation has just moved into a new building? A new building, a beautiful building, amazingly the way it came together and the finance needed came in. Just a stunning building, and yet a reminder that the church, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. So to what do we attribute Solomon's success? In 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and at verse 1, it says this. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. God gave him the promise that he gave to so many of his saints in the Old Testament, I will be with you. And God gives that same promise to each one of us who is committed to him today. Sometimes we would wish that our circumstances might be different. Sometimes we wish our health might be different and all sorts of things. But the Lord's promise to us is, I will be with you. And he gives us real encouragement to enter fully in what he, into what he calls us to do. Here is Solomon with his greatest gift being wisdom. And he's willing to use it for God's glory. Now what about our gifts? The gifts of each one of us sitting here today. Some people we say in our modesty or in our false humility, oh, I don't have any gifts. But we do. Each one of us does. We have natural gifts of music, art, languages, sewing, knitting, all sorts, hospitality, and spiritual gifts that the Lord bestows on us. And Jesus' parable about the gifts is just a reminder that so often we just want to hide our gift, bury it, and rather than use it for his glory. I think Solomon's wisdom is particularly seen in the story of the two prostitutes. 
We wonder, how would we have solved that situation? These two women with two babies, one baby's dead, whose baby is it? And Solomon, of course he had no intention of killing that baby, but he knew that if he attempted to kill that baby, the true mother would reveal herself, as she certainly did. And don't we need wisdom to deal with all the situations we face in life? And the young people who are gathered with us today, that you too need great wisdom if you're still at school. And you also need great wisdom if you're at college or university or if you've just started in a job. Whatever your situation, you too need great wisdom and to know how to handle these situations, and especially if you're a Christian today. I love the visit of the Queen of Sheba. If I had dared, I would have a little bit of that track played, but I didn't dare. And I love the way it says again in the Message Bible, as she came and she saw everything, and it was way beyond her wildest imaginings. And she just says, it says this in the Message Bible, it took her breath away. A terrific start, meteoric rise to fame for any 18-year-old. And finally, the cause of his downfall. He had risen to such heights at such a young age. In 2 Chronicles 7, Starting at verse 17, God had encouraged him and he had also warned him. And isn't it good that that's exactly what God does for us? He encourages us, but he also warns us. There are pitfalls. Don't we know it? Many people here have fallen down them and we know all about these pitfalls. But isn't it good that God warns us in Scripture? There are warnings there. And it's like any good parent. A good parent is going to warn his or her children all about the dangers. And yet, in spite of the warnings, and yet we often rebel or we ignore these warnings. The first time I ever went to France, I think I was... I was about 15, 16, and we went to, it was a, a very cheap holiday, and we went to the cheapest of hotels. There was a notice on the, on the wall that said, in French, Défense de cracher sur le tapis. Please translate it, please refrain from spitting on the carpet. <coughs> now, although I'm a Glaswegian, I would not have been in the habit of spitting on people's carpets or anywhere else. But suddenly, I had, because it was, it was uh, it, I was told not to, I suddenly had this great urge, I just wanted to spit on the carpet. You'll be glad to hear I didn't. I controlled myself. Now, with Solomon, there are three things, three things that draw him away from God. There is warfare. There is wealth and there is women. First of all, the warfare. He chose military strength rather than strength in God. 
And isn't it so easy for us? We choose, maybe are not involved in warfare and we don't choose military strength, but we will choose ways to deal with situations rather than turn to God or even turn to God's word. We think we can rely on our intelligence, our power, our contacts, our ability. And secondly, his wealth. Oh, and boy, did he have great wealth, unbelievable wealth. But Solomon forgot that the riches of gold and the most precious stones are nothing compared to what God offers. That peace, that purpose, forgiveness, love, a future, and so much more. And Jesus warns us about wealth in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Our society in 2021 is obsessed with money. Aren't we obsessed with money as a society? Now, of course, money is necessary. Of course, money is not evil in itself. It's the love of money which is the problem. But it can, be, it can so easily become an idol. And often, it's interesting to read of lottery winners, maybe a couple of years after they've won the lottery, and they don't tend to be any happier than you and me. Here's one example, a chap called Greg Lake, who was a millionaire at 24. And I'm looking around, and I think I see people who are 24 or thereabouts in the congregation. And you think, oh, a millionaire at 24. And he was the bass guitarist with Emerson, Lake and Palmer, for those of you who remember that group. And this is what he says. These are his exact words. Being a wealthy millionaire is a very fleeting pleasure. When you can do anything you want, buy anything you want, you soon realise that you don't want any of it. So... And it's, we've got to watch out that we too can always be ripe for a downfall. And we must never let our guard down. Our guard against sin and temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 reminds us, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In another version it says this, to maybe you're more familiar with this. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's so easy, isn't it? And then finally, his obsession with women. God's plan is clearly stated in Genesis chapter 2 and at verse 24. One man, one woman for life. As it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his, his wife, and they will become one flesh. And yet, in 1 Kings 11, we realize that Solomon had 700 wives. And as if that weren't enough, he had 300 concubines. But even worse than these amount of women, 
is that he, these women drew him away from the Lord and led him to worship their gods, their false gods, and led the nation into spiritual decline. So the three W's that affected Solomon's life, the three W's, warfare, wealth, and women. And in some ways, we've got to watch for exactly the same three W's, don't we? Warfare in the sense that we have to remember, and we can so easily forget, that if you're a Christian today, you are involved in warfare. And therefore, on a daily basis, we need the full armour of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. And wealth, as we said, that it can so easily lead us away because we think we have everything. We don't need a thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is reminding his people as they approach the promised land, be careful because as you enter the promised land and you have all, all that you would want, it's so easily for, forget me. And women. Now it might not be women, but it could be a relationship that's dragging us away from the Lord. And it's so easy to enter into a relationship that's not suitable. Ephesians, I would recommend, I would recommend two things for you to read this afternoon if you've got a long afternoon and you're not doing lunch or having tea. Is, is one would be to read the whole story of Solomon. I'm only joking about reading it in the afternoon. It would take more than that to read it properly. But to read just the story, I've just dipped into the story of Solomon, to read it from start to finish. And also to read Ephesians 6, because it talks about three similar things. It talks about warfare, wealth, and walk. And it's nice and easy because all of these things are the three W's. Warfare, reminding us just of what I said, that we are, if we're Christians, we are in a war. Wealth, the wealth that it reminds us of in Ephesians is that we have wealth that we could never have dreamt of because we have every blessing in Christ Jesus. And our walk to remind us of our walk is important as we walk before the Lord and also as our witness in the way that we're living. Because it's so easy for any one of us to say that things are Christian and from the Bible, but what about walking the walk, not just talking the talk? God had decreed that they would not intermarry outside the family of God. And Paul speaks about that in 2 Corinthians 6. And this warning stands to this day. How many have been drawn away from Christ by a relationship? Often a fabulous relationship. Or we've been drawn away by other things. Career, family, hobby, etc., etc. And what about us? What about us sitting here today listening to God's word? What about us? Are we in the same situation as Solomon? And if we're not, 
we just give thanks to God that we aren't, but realise we have to be so careful how we live our Christian lives. Because it's easy. Isn't it easy to go through the motions? Very easy. I think I did it for two years. I went through the motions of being a Christian, but that I was so far away from God, it was untrue. But it is innocent, wonderful, but the Lord will have us back. And I love the words that we know so well in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, and I will, for, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. What forgiveness, what grace, what love that the Lord Jesus offers. Can I just say today, if you have never made a Christian commitment, it is, I'm sure the congregation here is delighted that you're here. But I wonder what's holding you back. And sometimes there are wrong things that are holding us back. And sometimes it's because we feel we're not worthy None of us are worthy. It's all undeserved. It's unmerited. It's unbelievable. And then later on, way after Solomon, the real Solomon arrives. The darling of the Lord. The darling of the Lord. The Lord Jesus. The one who brings real and everlasting peace between God and his people. In Matthew 3 at verse 17, we see God's reaction to Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And when we come to him, our guilt is transferred onto the sinless son of God. So as I conclude... There are four things just to think about as we go away. No human king is perfect. Read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no king that's perfect. Even the one who was the apple of God's eye, David. Adultery, arranging basically to have a man murdered. No king is perfect. Secondly, God had never wanted them to have a king. He realised that he was their king. He was the king. And thirdly, it's the Lord Jesus who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is no one else we would rather have running our life and showing us the way forward. Amen. Let's just have a short prayer together. Our Father, we're gathered here as a congregation, but we're gathered here as maybe a hundred different individuals. And we thank you that you don't see us as an amorphous mass, but you see us as individuals. And you speak to us as if we were the only one in this room. Lord, how we thank you for that, and that you would both encourage us and challenge us today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.